Hey, this is Zach Miller, and you're listening to the New Rules of Investing podcast, where investment businesses grow. We talk about tips, tools, and technologies to help investment professionals build and grow their practices. We hope you'll enjoy our program. You can find this podcast on iTunes. You can also find this podcast and archives of the show, as well as some transcripts of my programs, at my website, newrulesofinvesting.com. Hope you like it. Please drop by the blog, drop by iTunes, let us know what you think of the podcast, let other people know what you think of the podcast. We appreciate all the feedback. We're trying to make this a great session and useful session for you. Today's guest is Nancy Butler. At the age of 31, with no previous experience in the brokerage business, Nancy, in the process of a divorce, took her two daughters, moved 70 miles away, and started up her own business. She learned very quickly in her career that getting in front of one potential client at a time was not scalable. And she needed to get very good quickly at getting in front of large groups of potential clients. She built her business from scratch and built it into one of the top asset management financial planning practices in the country. And she became one of the few certified divorce financial analysts in her state. And she's testified in court as an expert witness for divorce. With approximately $200 million in management, and 1,200 clients. In 2007, she sold her practice, and now she's a national speaker to help business owners do a better job for their clients and improve their bottom line and help individuals live live a successful life and realize their dreams. She also remains one of the few certified divorce financial analysts in her state. Um, She's been quoted in many local and national publications, including USA Today, and been a speaker for major corporations such as Pfizer, General Dynamics, and Dow Chemical. she is a media maven, and uh, she spends about 30 minutes with me chatting about basically the entire process that she went through starting up her business. So if you're new in this business or if you've sort of hit a wall with your marketing, um, th- these are not rocket science techniques. These are just you know roll up your sleeves and get in front of people. Um, again, she did this uh, you know in she did this 20 years ago. Um, what's interesting is today is that, and, and these are things that we've spoken about on the show and I've written about on the blog, is that business is obviously still done locally, even though the internet is playing a, a bigger and bigger role. Um, it is easier now to find local contacts and local affinity groups to be able to uh, attract more than one individual at a time, scaling up your marketing activities. Um, but consequently, it's also a little noisier. So, um, where Nancy talks about going and, and sitting in her local library and getting you know local business contact information, uh, we can now do that online. We can do that on Facebook. We can do that through Twitter. Um, it is a little that 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 information is more transparent. How you reach out to those people and the media you use to attract them um, that I think still leaves some to creativity. I've used webinars and, and local um, online sh- uh, you know media to be able to attract local businesses. Um, you may find that the old school knocking on doors and cold calling works just as well. Um, let's let Nancy talk about her her show, um, her process, and how she built uh, a business from scratch into uh, into a, a really living, breathing, you know, nice size financial services practice, which she eventually sold. So let me know what you guys think. Okay. Uh, I started in 81. I've got kind of a unique background in that I knew absolutely nothing about this profession, meaning financial planning and asset management. Mm -hmm. I was in the process of a divorce, so my house took my kids, moved 70 miles away, and this opportunity presented itself. And my thought process at that point was, even if I didn't like the job and it didn't work out, just what I would learn on how to manage our own finances, it would have been worth the education. So I tried it. It was back in 81. I'm still here. (laughs) So it's been 30 years. 
uh, one of the best decisions I made. I built the practice. I When I took my kids and moved away, I knew no one. So I had to build a practice from scratch without knowing anybody in the area and having no connections. And I built the practice to a $200 million asset under management practice. I had about 1,200 clients. And about 10, now it's probably more like 12 years ago, I started interviewing other advisors to bring into my practice because I knew at some point I'd want to sell it. After working with different advisors for several years, I finally found one that I was really comfortable with. I owned the real estate the office was in, so he rented space from me, running his own practice for three years, and it gave us the opportunity to... um, conference in on different cases and strategize and I could see how he thinks and see how he works and so that work ended up working out really well uh, and about six years before selling my practice I signed legal documents when my last day of work was going to be how they were going to buy how he was going to buy the practice wow. about a year before he bought the practice he realized there's no way he could take it over on his own that it was too big for him so we brought in a 1099 advisor uh, it paid him as a 1099 and trained him for a year. And now those two guys are the ones that bought my practice, practice and are running it today. I have real good connections with them, and we still get along really well. I do not manage assets anymore. The only clients I see, which is kind of unusual, I guess, I'm one of the few certified divorce financial analysts in the state of Connecticut, mm-hmm. and and I have testified in court as an expert witness for divorce. And the only clients I take on now are people in the process of a divorce. And then once the divorce is over, I turn the clients over to the guys that bought my practice, and then they can manage them from there. Was the that other a, thing? Was that a new des- when you got when you got uh, into the business? Was that a new designation? Now I've had that for about fifteen years. Fifteen years, okay. So the only thing I'm doing right now is I am a paid consultant to advisors across the country, so I do coach advisors. Um, I do the divorce planning, but I don't do a lot of it. I just pick and choose who I want to take on and who I don't and how much work I want to do. Um, I also got sick and tired of, I have to keep my licenses, and I got sick and tired of going to all these CE classes and feeling like I knew more than what the teachers did. So I offered all the schools that I went to for me to teach. So now I'm teaching CE classes. I don't have to pay to go. I get paid to go, and I still get my credits. So I'm doing that. I'm doing the coaching to advisors, and I didn't know the company was going to have me coach and have me do other things for them. Mm -hmm. So I also set up my own speaking business prior to all that coming down. So I thought I was retiring, but I'm not the type of person that can sit and do nothing. So the difference is now I pick and choose what I want to do when I want to do it and work when I feel like it and I don't when I don't. Well, it sounds like you set up a great, uh, a great platform for yourself. Yeah, so I've been traveling a lot. I probably travel on average once a month somewhere to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do training like two-day sessions for like they bring in like the top 20 or 30 advisors, and I travel around and spend two days there just teaching them how to bring their practices up to speed. And what are you training on, like practice management type stuff? Practice management, and I would say, and it's funny because had I known I was going to sell anything when I took this job, I never would have taken it because um, I even answered the ad in the paper, I have never sold anything, I have no intention of selling anything, but if you want a good manager, hire me. Mm-hmm. And here I am. <laughs> and so I don't consider myself a salesperson. I consider myself as figuring out what the client's problems are and solving their problems. And that's not, to 
me selling. That's being a good person and mm-hmm. solving problems. And so, in fact, whenever we've gotten our compensation book, and it used to come like, I don't know, a couple hundred pages shrink-wrapped on how we got paid on everything, yeah. I never even took the plastic off. I threw it in the garbage because I didn't want to know how I was paid. I wanted to do the right things for the client, and I'm a firm believer you do the right thing, the money will come. Wow. And and so that's how I train people. And with the advisors, because of the way I started, I realized early on that getting in front of one client at a time wasn't going to build a business quick enough. Mm-hmm. And I had no child support, no alimony, and, and, and no other source of income, and this was a commission-only business. So I had to build the practice quickly or my kids didn't eat. So I learned really quickly how to get in front of large groups of people and build my practice. So about the first five years, I concentrated on marketing and did it and got into media relations and marketing very heavily. And after about five or eight years, I would say I did no marketing for about 10 or 15 years, and I was booked about six weeks in advance. So what, what, because, what were some of those ahead. techniques that you were using to sort of um – you know, leapfrog the one-on-ones and getting to to large groups of people? Okay. The first thing I did was I realized that every single, and it's different now because of the technology, and I'm huge into technology, Mm -hmm. but you've got to remember back in 81, we didn't even have a computer. We didn't have 800 numbers to home office. I mean, it was all on my dime. And I didn't have another advisor because there weren't really financial advisors 30 years ago. So there wasn't even anybody within a couple of hours of me that was doing what I was doing. So it was hard to, number one, get the public to know who you are and what you do, trust you, and why should they do business with you when they, a lot of them hadn't even heard of financial planning before. And right from the beginning, I always felt that financial planning was the way to go. So even though I wasn't allowed to charge for it, I did full-blown plans on my own dime back in the beginning. So with that said, uh, needing to get in front of a lot of people, one of the first things I did was I went to the local libraries, and that's what got me started on the technology issue I just mentioned, because now I think you can probably do it online. But I went to the local library, and every library has a card file. You can't take it with you, but you can sit there, and twice a year, until I got staff and got them to do it, um, twice a year I would sit down and go through that card file, and it told you all the local clubs and organizations, where they meet, what they meet, what, what they do, who the contact person is, the time of day, the phone numbers, addresses, and all of that. I did up a one-page letter that offered my services as a free public service to organizations like yours as a speaker for any of your upcoming meetings. Mm -hmm. And I kind of started it that way. The letter went out twice a year, and I would say after about a year and a half, I was speaking somewhere, probably on average once a month. That was one These were pro pro bono gigs. Yeah, because I didn't care, because if I didn't do it that way, I'd have to pay to buy leads or do something to start bringing people in. So the next step is, how do you make that, um, make, make it that you're spending your time as efficiently as possible and getting the most you can out of that speaking? So if you think about it, I only had to go in there and speak for like a half hour, and that's it. And what did it cost me? Nothing other than sending them a letter. So then I started thinking, well... They had me as a speaker for a meeting. So after I finished speaking, they were conducting their regular meeting. So how am I going to get the names and contacts of all these people in the meeting 
if they say thank you for speaking and you leave and, and then they go on to their meeting. So I came up with a way to get the names and addresses of everyone. And what I did was I asked the person that was having me speak ahead of time to make sure it was okay with them and got their permission. But then I went to a local restaurant nearby, got a gift certificate for lunch for two, and I told them I was going to be doing a drawing for lunch at the end of my talk. And you always want to do it at the end because they don't know who you are or anything beforehand, and they're not going to fill out the comment card the way you want them to unless they've heard you speak first. So at the beginning of the talk, I would tell them, at the end, I'm giving you a comment card at the end of the talk. I'm going to ask you to please fill it out. Uh, and I'm going to be doing a drawing before I leave. I'm going to hand lunch for two to somebody. And the the comment, the drawing was the actual comment card. So that's how I got them back before I left. And on the comment card, there was places for them to check off if they wanted a free initial consultation, those kinds of things. And at the very end of my talk, because you only tell them enough to let them know how much they don't know mm-hmm. and that they really need to come and see you for more. So at the very end of my talk, I would tell them that there is a free initial consultation. On the comment card, there's a place to check off if you'd like that. It doesn't cost you anything. It takes about an hour. And while it's free, bring all your questions because I can be very expensive, and you might as well get as much out of it as you possibly can while it's free. If you don't want me to call you, don't put your... um, address or phone number, and I will not call you, and I will honor that. But if you do want me to contact you, or if you want information on any of the things listed on the sheet, just check them off. And I held to that. Also on the comment card, there was a place for them to put down what they learned and what they thought and how it went. And I always made a copy of all that comment cards blank, all those comment cards blanking off the name and address of the people and sent it to the person after the speaking, thanking a copy of that, thanking them for having me speak. And here's comments from people in your audience and how much they liked it. And because it went so well, I'd be glad to do it again in the future. That kind that, of thing. That created almost like a positive feedback loop, right? So they saw how valuable yeah. you were. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's great. Really smart. Yeah, so that was one of many, but that was, I mean, I had i had no choice. I had to get in front of a lot of people quickly and build my business or my kids didn't eat, and if that's not incentive, I don't know what it is. Well, do, when looking back on the success you had through your career, I mean, do, do you feel like obviously that, that family scenario was what propelled you to just be like hyper-aggressive about building everything? Um, that was a great part of it. I would say maybe 60 to 75% of it. The other thing is because I was in the process of a divorce, my own self-esteem was extremely low. Mm-hmm. Um, and my former spouse and I both worked for the same company. So when we got divorced, not only did I sell my place and move 70 miles, but I was out of a job and out of a marriage and out of a lot of things. And so I just had very low self-esteem. And anything I could do, because I have two daughters, I felt it was important for them to see what a woman could do in business. And so it just gave me the desire to want to do really good things. And I felt in this career, again, with throwing away my compensation book, I saw all the good I could do for people. And I mean, now, having been here 30 years, I mean, after like 5, 10, 15 years, and the people that were planning to put their kids through school, and now you see they can because of you. Um, people that re- wanted to retire. Perfect example, yesterday, Mother's Day, 
we went out for dinner with the family, with my mother and my kids and my grandkids and all of that. And the woman that was the hostess looked awful familiar to me. And I went over to her and I said, aren't you so-and-so? Now, granted, I had 1,200 clients, but I remembered her name. And she said, yes. She said, 20 years ago, I became your client. I had $200 to my name. She said, I need to tell you, I now have completely paid off my mortgage. I have $200,000, and I only do this on the side when I feel like it because I enjoy it. Wow. And she said, I've got to give that to you because you gave me the incentive, the initiative, and you showed me how to do it. So you and, were- that just, and she said that in front of my family. I mean, that was just <laughs> so nice. On Mother's Day, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, so... It's those kinds of things that keep me going. For sure. So I get there's two questions. One, you know, what kind of you took in everybody, obviously, in the beginning. It sounds like she had two hundred dollars in the beginning. Here's how we used to say it. If they will fog a mirror, I will see them. (laughs) Okay. Um, then as time went by, I realized that was not the way to run a business, mm-hmm. and it was getting to the point of 60, 70 hours a week to manage 1,200 clients. I mean, I had four full-time staff, and it still wasn't enough, and so then I started being real picky, and it's funny because one of my other goals when I sold the practice was bringing the guys in five years prior gave them the opportunity to meet my clients, see how I ran the practice, and I wanted it to be seamless. I wanted the day after I left to be the same as the day before I left Mm -hmm. because if the clients left when I left, what would the guys be buying? And I I wasn't moving away, and I wanted to be able to walk down the street, run into any of my former clients like yesterday, and feel real good about the position I left them in. So I basically trained them and brought them up to speed so that they could continue and run the practice the way it needed to be run. So take, I, I think what would be interesting for, for my listeners, my readers, is the, is the approach you took with the, the, the marketing towards divorcees. It was something very personal to you, something you had been going through, and it sounds like something that you know, ultimately people gravitated you for, to you because of some, this, this expertise that you built up. How, how did you use that in your marketing? Actually, even now, I do no marketing. It's all the attorneys and mediators referring people to me. If I really wanted to make a career of that and I wanted uh, to go into it full-time, which I'm not now, if I wanted to go into that full-time, it would be very easy for me to have as many clients as I wanted and work as many hours as I wanted. Um, First of all, you need to have the credentials. Just like when I got the CFP. Mm-hmm. Very few people had it, but I felt like at that point there were no regulations as to who's allowed to call themselves a financial advisor. And actually right now there kind of isn't either. I mean, you can say you're a financial advisor. You don't have to be a CFP. Right. So I wanted something that stood me apart. So it's the same thing with the divorce. What makes you as a financial advisor, meaning you personally, Zach, different than me as a financial advisor and what I can do for someone in divorce and what you can do for someone in divorce. Well, I have specific training in that. I have designations in that. I have continuing educations. I have credits I have to build up every year. I have specific software that has nothing to do with financial planning. It's specific divorce software that shows if you take what his attorney says or what your attorney says, here's what you look like today, here's what you'll look like 5, 10, 15, 20 years out. Because even going through it myself and then seeing with all my clients that had gone through it over the years, quite often, as you know, 
it looks like it's fair because it might look 50-50 the day you split, but it's not. Because he gets the retirement plan, for example, and you get the house. You sell the house later, pay no tax, and he loses 40% of his retirement plan when he withdraws it. Mm-hmm. So all the tax ramifications and how you um, alimony is tax deductible to the person paying it, taxable to the person who receives it, but child support is not. So I can play with all of that. Should it be more child support, less alimony? Should it be more alimony, less child How do we get this? so that over the long term, it's going to be fair to both of you. And fair doesn't always mean 50-50. Right. I mean, and, and quite often, I work with, in fact, most of the time, I shouldn't say most of the time, maybe 50-50, I work with both spouses, which is nice. They come in because they want to know that they're doing the right thing and they're doing what's fair for themselves and for their family. And then as a financial advisor, I can take it a step further than an, even an attorney can because I help them with their budgeting. I, I include in my divorce planning fee one consultation after the divorce is over to help them get their budgeting and get them on track with their new life. So that's that's so interesting. So. You mentioned that you didn't actually have to do any direct marketing. What you just described now is once you had that client sitting in front of you, the credentialing, the experience, that yeah. that, that was almost like a sure, I, closure, a sure closure on the sale, right? Right. And then once I started doing it, they started talking about it and telling everybody else about it. And then I started getting calls. Well, I'm also listed on the divorce planning websites. So I get emails from people saying, I found you on this website. I live 20 minutes from where your office is. I'd like to talk to you. And that's happened quite a bit in the last year. And what about, you mentioned this sort of indirect sale. So, so you were getting referrals from the state attorneys, from the divorce lawyers. Um, I get that all the time. That's where most of my people come from. And so how did you build that? That was, that was just pounding on because doors? Because there isn't any other... There isn't, uh, here's what they can do, how I can help them. First of all, I've been through the divorce myself, so, so I know what it's like. I've raised kids on my own. I've been a financial advisor for 30 years, so I know both sides of the fence. I also am really good at sitting with both people and getting them on track, getting their thought process on track, because when you go through divorce, it's so easy to get sidestepped and it gets pushed off for months and months and months and months. I can get it done, which attorneys are paid by the hour, so they like it being spread out, and they don't care, you know, but after a while, it's like they want it done also, and they are not experts in helping people understanding their budgeting. So here's a real good example on how I help attorneys, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, and it's going to sound... It's going to sound a little sexist, but it is still somewhat like this in some cases. So let's say, for example, the husband worked all his life and the wife was home raising children. She worked also, but she worked in the home as a homemaker and not outside bringing in income. And I've had several of these even in the last 12 months. So then what happens is they go to the attorney to get the divorce, and the attorney can't help the woman understand budgeting, debt, management, how, she, how is she going to pick up the pieces emotionally, but also how is she going to pick up the pieces financially? All the attorney knows is this is what the courts are going to say, this is what the split's going to look like, but she can't help the client understand, will that be good enough for me? Am I going to live okay, or am I going to be out on the street? How do I manage this? 
So from a financial planning standpoint, I can help them over that hump and show her. And I even go down the budget item by item by item by item and show her what she has control over and what she doesn't and how we can make this work and how it's not going to work. And I don't care. You're not going to be able to get your nails done every week anymore. You know, that kind of thing. So the attorneys like that I'm able to help the clients understand, keep them on track, and keep the divorce going forward. So, so let's abstract this a little bit to how you work with a, uh, a coaching client now. So, I mean, you, you happen to have focused on- An advisor, on, you mean? Yeah, exactly. So okay. um, you, you, in your own personal practice, you focused on, on divorce, but- um, No, no. In my own personal practice, I didn't focus on divorce at all. I had a lot of high-end clients. I focused on asset management. Mm -hmm. Divorce was kind of a side, smaller uh, okay. thing. And since I sold the practice, I do the divorce only now okay, because I'm not that. as caring about the asset management piece anymore. Mm -hmm. So, but did, but did the divorce lever you into the, the broader asset management piece or that was just sort of a, a, a side thing always? Here's how I would answer that okay. as far as marketing and all of that. I'm a firm believer you've got to get your name out there. And even if the client doesn't need you today because you placed a $500 ad in the paper and they saw it and you didn't get all the calls and people weren't waiting when you got back to the office, that to me is not what's important. What's important is a long-term strategy of getting your name out in front of people. In finance, you've probably heard this, but there's an old adage that every three years there's a major financial event in a person's life, whether it be a divorce, a huge raise, a winning the lottery, a death with an inheritance, um, some kind kind of major financial event. So my thought process always was, even with working with the attorneys or doing media relations or anything, was I wanted everybody to know who I was so that when that event happened, I'd be the one they'd think of and not somebody else. And that's kind of how I saw it with even with the divorce attorneys. Because then they started calling me even to pay me to do calculations of present value for pensions and those kinds of things when they're going through divorce cases. Mm -hmm. And there were all kinds of other business. And then they could see the type of person I am, the type of work I do, and they could refer other clients to me, not just divorce. So I guess, can, can you give me an example of how um, one of your coaching clients' potential, and we don't have to be speaking about somebody specifically, would take the same type of approach? Um, how in, in today's market, which which is very noisy and very busy, um, you know, how do you, how do you end up making a name for yourself so that no matter when that person decides to seek out advice, they're going to come to you? Once again, several things. To me, a lot of it is the media relations. So here's an ex here's one example, and this is what I talk to the advisors that I coach about. My name was either in the paper, on the radio, or on TV on average once a month for over twenty years. And what I didn't, I didn't know why I did this, but I'm glad I did. Every time I was in the paper, I cut it out and saved it. I saved the whole page of the paper. Mm -hmm. And then I just got this huge big pile. And after several years, I bought a leather-bound album and I packaged it all up. And that was the only thing on the table in the waiting room when clients came in. No magazines, no anything. 
So when a new person came in, I wanted them to sit there and see all that I had done and how I was out in the public and I spoke for this organization and I wrote an article for this one and an article for that and I've been in USA Today, I've had my picture in USA Today, I've been on different television, radio, and, and it was all in there. So again, getting yourself out in front of people. So with the advisors that I coach, I coach them on how to get themselves out in the media, how to get their album developed, and how to get the public to know them. So what are some of the other ways the public can know them? Well, I talked to you about um, doing the classes, you know, doing the or meetings. That's one way. Connecting yourself with attorneys through divorce is another way. Every time I spoke anywhere or did anything, I sent a news release to all the local papers, and I got in really good with the reporters. I also found ways to be on the list of reporters, local reporters, not necessarily the real big papers, but local reporters, so that any time they were writing an article on anything that I had expertise in, they would call me and I would be part of their article. And, I mean, there's just so much. I feel like we're only, like, touching a little the head of the pin, but, I mean, there's just so much you can do. It's not that hard. Are you finding that um, the help, helperreporterout.com, the Hera, which is where you contacted me, are you finding that's a great way to, for advisors to just raise their hand? Yeah, and it's funny. I never knew about that. I just learned about that in Arizona. I live in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and I was a speaker for um, a meeting out in Arizona in January, the end of January, and somebody there in the session, in the class that I was teaching, mentioned it. So I went in and signed up, and ever since then, I've probably been on six or eight radio shows. I've been printed like eight or ten times. And it's all free. Yeah, it's been great. That's how I got you. Hard to beat free. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, and like I said, when I started in this business, free was my only option. So it was finding ways, but now they even have this for free, which is great. So are you confident that advisors in a market, particularly for one starting out, um, should really push, again, the same route, free, just whatever you can to get your name out there, and the monetization, the the business model will sort of follow? The first thing you need to do is what sets you apart from everybody else. So even if you get your name out there, why should they come to you and not other advisors that they've heard of for the last 10 years? Because if you were new coming into the market, say, 10 years ago when I was here and you were coming into my market, and I was the one that was in the paper all the time, and you started doing the same things I did, why would they see you as a new advisor when they've seen my name for the last 20 years? Mm -hmm. So you need to set yourself apart. One of the things, and I'm not the best at this except for now with the divorce planning part, but one of the things we tend to do as advisors is we don't want to leave any stone unturned. And what I mean by that is we want to be good at just about everything. So if a client wants uh, to roll over their 401K, we want to be real good at that. If they need life insurance, we want to be real good at that. If they need college planning, we want to be real good at that. But what you might want to think about is if you already have people in your market group, in your area, that are good at those things, find something where you can stand out, where you're really good at it, that makes you special and different and why they should go see you. Here's a good example on how I did that. Um, Pfizer and General Dynamics um, are located in the town where my office was. Mm-hmm. I got a copy of all the Pfizer benefits from one client. I mean, Every single piece of paper we could possibly get, I got them to connect me with the um, 
human resource department and got every single thing I possibly could. And then I took time out of my practice and spent a couple of days evaluating every single benefit they had. And I wrote up what's good about it and what's not so good about it and stored it so that every time I had a Pfizer client, they knew that I knew as much, if not more, than what they knew about their own benefits. And because I had already written up and stored it, I didn't have to start from scratch every time. So every time I met with a Pfizer client, we just copy and pasted, here's what you need to know about your disability. Here's what you need to know about your life insurance. Here's what you need to know about this and that. And I became very well known for knowing Pfizer inside out and backwards. And if you work at Pfizer, you need to go see Nancy. So, so that's what I'm talking about, making yourself stand out. It's such good advice. Um, question, I guess, based on that, um, you, it sounds like you had a lot of success locally. Did you also have success outside of your local geography? Meaning you I didn't your... need to. I okay. had 1,200 clients within Just... my geography. How many more do I want? No, so I, my question is for other advisors. You know, the, I guess with the internet and the ability to, 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 have, to cast a larger net, is it, in, in our business, though, you've got to be licensed in all those states. For sure. And you've got your CEs, and you've got a. I, I, to, actually, once again, we all want to spread as wide as we can. No, I didn't do that. I didn't need to. I had a lot of clients in Florida, even though I live in Connecticut, but that's because over half of my client base was over the age of 60. And a lot of them lived in Florida in the winter, and I had to be licensed where they claimed residency. But then they were back up here the other months. So, I mean, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Florida was basically where my clients were. So from your perspective, it's still very much a local, a local business. People need to sit down with you. I mean, I had clients with $7 million with me. People need to sit down. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that over the phone. Hmm. Okay. I just, you know, sometimes... You know, and it, maybe it's different depending on how the advisor was working with them. To me, I was working with them holistically, I mean comprehensively from start to finish, from I knew how they spent every dollar that came in to every debt they had to estate planning, tax planning, even with the $7 million people. I have stock option uh, designation where I'm specially trained on handling stock options, and a lot of those people add that. Um, I have designations for people that are small business owners, and I have training in that. So it's... Be, I would be holistic to these people, and that's why, for me, over the phone wouldn't work. Okay. Meaning if you were just doing portfolio management and you didn't... That's a little different. Yeah. but it, then, that, then, if I were in business today doing portfolio management only, I would come up with what it's like to be a client of Nancy Butler's portfolio management, asset management program. And what does that program look like? And what do I do that's different than everybody else? Because all financial advisors are asset managers. So why should they be coming to you? What do you do a little bit different? What, what makes you better? And I'm not saying necessarily performance-wise, because none of us, no matter how good we are, can control the market. So I never put myself out there as I'm better than all the other advisors because I can make you more money. That's not true. In fact, I tell clients, you could stand 10 advisors in a row. I've said this to clients in my office many times. You could stand 10 financial advisors in a row. They could all be with different companies or independent. You could give them all your same exact case. They could all come back with a different solution on how you should go about doing what you should be doing, and they could all be right. Because there isn't any one right way to do this. 
I'm going to show you what I think is best for you. And if there's, you have any problem or concern about any of it, just tell me because there's a lot of other ways we can do it too. So what I'm trying to say to you as far as the marketing question goes is they need to know what their expertise is and what stands them apart and what makes them different. I think clients really got that with me. They understood with me. And and once they're in and once they buy into that that what you're what, how you're defining yourself, um, did you focus continuously on sort of driving that point home, like in your marketing, in your communications materials to them, or in any any contact? Was was that were you done once you made the sale, or was that sort of brand? Oh continuous? God, no. Oh, God, no. Well, and I charged ongoing advice fee. Mm -hmm. So people came in on a regular basis. When they left, we scheduled their next appointment. It wasn't a one-time. I wasn't, um, although we handled brokerage and I had a lot of individual stock clients, I wasn't a trader. That was not my position. And I, and I would even tell them, I don't really care so much financially today, tomorrow, the next day. I care that when you're going to need a lump sum of money, you know where to get it and it's going to be there for you. And if it's not the right time to take it from this asset, you're going to know where the second place is to go and the third place is to go and the fourth place is to go. And I'm going to give you your cash reserves for your everyday stuff, and I'm not going to deal with that. I want to know where you're going to be three years, five years, ten years, twenty years from now. What's important to you, and how do we get you there? And that's what I cared about. And so it was looking at the whole picture, and often I would sit with their attorney, their CPA and me and the client because nobody coordinates all that. I mean, how many times have you had a client come in that had a trust done, but they never put anything in it because they didn't realize they had to change the ownership of everything. Or had a will drawn up and not signed it. Yeah. Yeah. Or they had a will drawn up, they signed it, but they never read it, and it was 20 years ago. I had a client come in, and I said, who's, for example, John Smith? And she says, I don't know any John Smith. I said, well, your will leaves everything to John Smith. She never read it, and they had printed it up wrong. Wow. So it's being that kind of connection, and my clients knew whenever anything in their lives, financial, came up, pick up the phone. And they might not necessarily speak to me all the time, but I had qualified people that I trained and I handpicked. And if you trust me, you need to trust them. And I did the same thing with the guys when I sold the practice. I mean, we had huge events. We uh, rented out an entire aquarium and invited all our clients because I wanted them to meet the people that were going to take over. I had all my family there, introduced them all, and told them right in front of everybody, you know, if you trusted me for the last 25 years, you need to trust that I would only leave you in the best of hands. And these are the people you need to work with. Sounds like you had built a, a fantastic business with, with great clients, and it sounds like you're providing a lot of value now to, uh, to your consulting clients, your, your advisors. Yeah. Clients. I mean, we all have pain in the neck clients, sure. too, but, you know. And, and again, in the beginning, it was see anybody you can see, but about six years before I sold the practice, I started spending big bucks marketing again. I mean, like $10,000 on one event. Because I realized that even though I was booked six weeks in advance, I mean, if a client wanted to see me, unless they were what we call our plus clients, my very best clients, mm -hmm. I had time carved out every week that was always available to them. But everybody else, if they called, it was six weeks before they could see me. They could see somebody else if, sooner if they needed to get something done, but they couldn't see me for six weeks. And so 
um, it was a matter of going back in and realizing that the clients that I was seeing wasn't necessarily at the level anymore that I should be seeing, that there were other advisors that could see a lot of the other clients, and I should be seeing the top, most complicated situations, that type of thing. So I started spending big bucks uh, renting out, I rented out like a whole vineyard and brought in, and I don't drink, I've never drank, but, and I brought in, um, we had to bring in our own grills even to cook the food on because the vineyard didn't have a kitchen and we brought in tables and linens and all of that and I was the only speaker and we bought lists to have invitations sent to people that had net worths over a certain amount and incomes over a certain amount and we had standing room only. And my thought process is if I got one or two clients out of that for these guys, it would have paid for the 10000 bucks that I spent, and it would make them more successful in the long term. So then we started gearing more towards upscale events to get the right people in the door rather than just seeing anybody that you can see. Unbelievable. I, this has been extremely valuable. I appreciate your time. Where, where would um, people find out more information about you and what you do now? www aboveallelse.org. If you'd like to learn more about what Nancy does and how she does it, you can find her at her website, which is www.aboveallelse.org. That's www.aboveallelse.org. Check her out. Let us know what you think. Let, let her know what you think of the show. And uh, check in with us again next week when we bring you more information to help you build your financial services practice. This is Zach Miller at New Rules of Investing Radio.